Well, today we're concluding our series of messages called Speaking of Heaven. And I'm just really thrilled as I have talked with so many of you over the last few weeks how this series has really struck a chord with some of you. And God's been kind of giving you a perspective beyond this world into what's to come and how it's really changed you in some ways and how you see your relationship with Christ. So I'm just I'm excited to see how God's been using this. I know He's definitely used this series in my life. God's really transformed some things in my life as a result of my studying and preparing for this. So thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, today we're going to be wrapping up this series of messages by looking at the question that the drama team posed here. And that is, it's a question that if, if there's anything about heaven, I think that gives people a little bit of apprehension, it's this question. The question is, will I give an account of my life? If so, what will happen? What will it be like? Um, you know, earlier in this series, I talked with you about how there's been a lot of medical and scientific research that's gone on in the last few decades to look into people who have had these near-death experiences, these situations where someone died, they flatlined, uh, and then they were resuscitated and brought back to life, and how so many of them share that while they were out, that they had this experience of heaven, that they came face-to-face with God. And there's so many stories that I've been sharing with you even over the series about some of the people who've had experiences like that. What we've actually, what some studies have shown, which seems like, a, it seems a little high to me, but I'm seeing you know, recently that you know, one out of every 25 people in America have said they've had some sort of a near-death experience. That seems like a lot of people, doesn't it? But because of medical science and things like that, people have been able to be brought back um, and they come back and share these experiences. And another thing that was really interesting to me as I was reading some of this was that around the world, of all the people who've had these near-death experiences, one-fourth of them, regardless of what part of the world they come from or what their faith is, they come back saying that during that time that they were gone, that they were face-to-face with God and there was some sort of a life review where they gave an accounting of their lives. You know, these days when you watch Hollywood and they try to depict this part of the future, when they try to, to share what heaven's going to be like and how we're going to be judged before God, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the movie clips or the TV shows where they show this, this scene of, you know, before God. It, it's, I've seen a few of them and they're, they're honestly kind of intimidating to me. I mean, I see them and it, basically they, when, when, when you see these things in some of these films uh, that Hollywood puts out, it's like you stand before God and this long scroll is opened up right? And all of your screw-ups are listed on it. Everything that you did wrong, every, every bonehead decision you made, they're all there, and you're like having to, you're having to sweat through it and try to explain to God why you did all the things you did or didn't do. Um, in fact, there was one movie that really struck, struck me with this. It was a movie that was, came out several years ago by Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks. I don't know if you saw it. It was a movie called Defending Your Life. Take a look at this. You'll see what I'm talking about. From the beginning of motion picture history, Hollywood has tried to show you what the afterlife is really like. Good afternoon and welcome to Judgment City. Do you have any idea what's going on? Well, in a nutshell, you're here to defend your life, and I'm going to help you. Defend my life? Every second of every lifetime is always recorded. And as each one ends, we sort of look at it. Look at a few of the days, examine it. At this time, I'd like to present a compilation of general misjudgments. Half of them fear-based, half of them just stupid. I've assembled 164 misjudgments over a 12-year period. What you're going to see in the screen, Mr. Miller, 
will look and feel so real to you, you might be a little uneasy at first. But just relax. After a while, I think it will become pleasurable to you. They tell me it feels something like 3D. Wow. Isn't it amazing? Is this what you thought it would be? I certainly didn't. I don't know what it is yet, do you? No, I guess I don't. You make me think of my little poodle. Thank God that is not what heaven is going to be like, I tell you. If I, had to de- if I had to defend every screw-up that I have made over my lifetime, I think we'd be there in eternity just going through them all. Um, but you know, what, one of the things that we see in Scripture is that that isn't what uh, Judgment Day will look like. The, the Scripture does describe, though, that there will be a Judgment Day, and there will be a Judgment Day for all people. And um, it will, Christ followers can look forward to that time because it will be a time of recognition and reward. A time when, we, when God looks at us and he reminds us of the things we've done and how we have lived a life this well lived. This isn't a time, this life review or this judgment time for believers. It's not a time of discipline or a time of disappointment, but rather a time that God shows us the moments of our lives that he is most proud of. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to spend some time there. Uh, if, if you have your Bibles, that was great. If you just have your smartphone or tablet, feel free to open up to gracetucson.org slash Bible and we can uh, stay connected that way, read the scriptures there. And as you're turning there, let me just share with you, we're going to start at Revelation 20, but then I'm going to go back into some other places in scripture because there's no one passage that kind of explains all of this idea of the final judgment. Revelation 20 is a key one, but then there are a few others I'm going to add in to kind of fill out the picture uh, for us this morning. So let me start Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. And Lord, I just want to take a moment before I read your word to just say thank you for what you're doing in this series and how you're touching me and several others of us through this. Thank you for helping us to see a little piece of heaven and what it's going to be like one day. And Lord, today as we wrap up this series and we look at this idea of judgment and will we be giving an account of our lives, Lord, I just pray that your, your words would speak through me, that anything that's of me would just be quickly forgotten. But Lord, that your word would come through loud and clear and we would have a better picture of what we not only have to anticipate, but what we have to look forward to one day. Lord, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing among this community and how we all get to be a part of it together. And Lord, I believe that what we experience here at Grace is just a small, small taste of what heaven's going to be like. So Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 20. I'm just going to read a few verses here, starting in verse 11. This kind of sets a picture of, of what that day will be like. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as, a, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the dead and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, 
This book, this book of Revelation in the the very end of the Bible, most of this book is telling about what things will be like after this life as we know it is now over, right? Most of it is, is, is an account of that. And in this passage we looked at just now, let me just, in case you didn't notice, there are two judgments there that are very clearly laid out, right? There's a judgment for believers, and there's also a judgment for non-believers, this mention here. And these two judgments are very, very different. Over the centuries, there, this judgment for non-believers has been called the great white throne judgment because of verse 11. It's referenced there in verse 11. Um, but there's also a judgment for believers. And what you, if you read a lot of you know, uh, theological writings and things like that, what you'll find is it's typically called, that judgment for believers is called the Bema Seat Judgment. Now I'll explain what that's all about in just a minute. But both of these, both of these judgments appear to be to happen at the end of time as we now know it. Um, verse 13 here that I just read talks about how the bodies of the dead will be risen up from the grave, which is something that happens at the end of time. Also, this idea in verse 14 about death being destroyed, obviously that hasn't happened yet, right? So we kind of understand that these two judgments are happening at the end of time as we know it. But there are also people who have made arguments at times, and they go back to places like Hebrews 9.27, where it kind of makes you start to think, well, is the judgment, is there some sort of a life review or judgment that happens as soon as we die, as soon as we are face-to-face with God? Um, there are passages that talk about being absent from the body and being present for the Lord and, and being judged at that time. And so I, I've, all I have to say is I don't know. This passage here in Revelation seems to say to me, that this is something reserved for the end of time. But for those who kind of think that it might be, there might be something that also happens as soon as we die, that, that, that may be the case. Um, but here's what I do know. Here's what Scripture throughout makes very, very clear. And that is that every person who's ever been alive will be judged. Every person who's ever lived will go through one of two judgments, either a judgment for those who have choos- chosen to follow Christ or judgment for those who haven't chosen to follow Christ. And they're very different. For those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ at some point in their lives and they have let that guide them through their lives, regardless of how successful or non-successful they've been in the world's eyes or even in God's eyes, how much they've lived up to God's standard. I just want to say this morning that if you've, if you've accepted Christ into your life, your future is absolutely secure. There's no question about, well, well maybe I screwed up one too many times and God's going to just kind of write me off. Scripture makes very clear that you don't go to heaven based on how good or bad you are. You go to heaven based on putting your faith and trust in the only one who is. And so that's very clear. So now, I want to go back to this, this second judgment, though. I want to kind of, we've already focused on the judgment for non-believers. That was the hell message that I got my, managed to get through a couple weeks ago. But this morning, I want to talk about this judgment for believers, which, honestly, I don't really think it's a judgment at all. I mean, it's called that here. But I don't really think, call it a judgment. It's more like a life review or really what I would call it, it's more like an award ceremony for those who are people of faith. And that's because there's no judgment in this judgment. There's no condemnation. There's no punishment at all for us not measuring up to God's standard. In fact, what we see in Scripture is that when we confess our sins, it, Scripture says that God not only forgives them, but He forgets them. He's able to choose to forget them. So it's not like He's going to dredge them back up so things that He's forgotten and then remind us of them. They're gone. They're gone. But um, Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians 5 call this time, for this judgment time for believers, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, one of the things that I think is really fascinating about that as I've dug into it is that word, that phrase, judgment seat of Christ, 
the Greek word for that is actually the word bimatos. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and try to press you with my very rudimentary Greek. It, it's pretty lame. I, I don't really know a whole lot. I should know more than I do, but seminary was many, many years ago, and most of that I've already forgotten. But this is something that I have held on to that I think is so meaningful and so powerful. This word here for judgment seat of Christ, which is bimatos. Now, let me explain to you why I think it's so neat. This word, bimatos, uh, in the time that the New Testament was being written, there was a very clear understanding about what that word meant. It was talking about this seat that a judge sat in during the Olympic Games in Greece every time the Olympics would take place. This judge would seat on, sit on his bimatos. He would sit on his judgment seat. And on that, that seat, that's when he observed the games, he judged who won, and he would hand out crowns from that bimatos to those who had won races. Now, back then in the Olympics, they didn't receive gold and silver medals like we do today. Actually, what they received are crowns or wreaths made out of olive leaves. And they would also receive several canisters of olive oil, which sounds kind of lame, doesn't it? But back then, that was a really big deal. Olive oil was like super, super expensive. It was, it was, it was big, a big deal. So they received these canisters of olive oil, which were very, very valuable. This story here, this passage paints this beautiful image of how God rewards us after we finish running the race of life. And God, we stand before God on, on the, as he is sitting on the beam of toss and he says to you and I, well done, good and faithful servant. And in that, from that beam of toss, that's what we see in scriptures. That's where God, from there is where God gives us these rewards that we will experience one day in heaven. And these, are, these rewards are actually described as crowns. Now, I've done some research into this, and I have found that maybe more. I have found five crowns in Scripture that it talks about that we can look forward to in heaven. I want to describe to you what these crowns are about. One is the victor's crown, which the first Corinthians described as this crown that is given to those of us who have self-discipline in our lives. I don't know how much we need, but... It's mentioned there, 1 Corinthians 9. Second one is the crown of rejoicing for those who have led others to Christ. That's in 1 Thessalonians 2. Then we found, find the crown of life, which I think this is a fascinating one. That's for those who have endured to, and triumphed over temptations, trials, and adversity in this life. For those of us who have suffered in this life more than we think is our fair share... One day we have to look forward to God saying, well done. You survived those trials, those adversities that were placed on you, and we received the crown of life. The fourth crown that we see here in Scripture is the crown of glory. And that's for those who are faithful shepherds and leaders of God's people. Those who have led other people to, Christ, to uh, understanding who Christ is in this life will receive the crown of glory. And the fifth one is the crown of righteousness, which is an interesting one. It just, all that 2 Timothy says there is it's given to those who have a longing for, God, for Jesus' presence in this life. Now, these aren't the only rewards that Scripture talks about. In fact, Matthew 25, 21 describes how part of the rewards that we will get involve greater responsibilities in heaven. In fact, Luke 16 is just a really fascinating passage to me. Luke 16 talks about this. It describes how the worldly resources that we're given here in this life, that these, these resources that we're given, whether it's finances or stuff or whatever it is, that they're given to us in this life as a test of our trustworthiness. And that there will come a day when we will be entrusted with true riches in heaven based on how trustworthy we were with the riches that God gave us here on this earth. 
So how many, how many of you have ever thought about the stuff that you have, the possessions you have, the finances you have? It's part of a test for each one of us to see how we use them. Do we use them well? Do we use them in a way that honors God? Because that will be a test for our time in heaven. Now, Matthew 6 talks about rewards also. And Jesus describes that those things that we've done in this life where we've gotten accolades and credit, that those aren't necessarily the things that we're going to be rewarded for in heaven, but instead the things that no one has seemed to notice. Those acts of love, those acts of kindness, those things we've done that no one else has really even seen or noticed or cared about. Those are the things, Scripture says, that God notices. Guys, I hope you're seeing this. This day... Whatever it is, this day is going to be the most rewarding day of our lives. It is going to be the climax of our lives. It's going to be far greater than anything we can possibly imagine right now. Revelation chapter 4 talks about this day. And it says how after we receive these crowns, that we will lay them down at God's feet as we worship Him. And honestly, I just have to tell you, as I think about this day... I think, one of the, I think probably the greatest reward we will receive is being in God's presence. That will be worth far more than any crown God could possibly give us. To be face to face with our Creator, with our Lord, with the one who loves us far more than we can understand. When we're in, that, when we're in His presence, I think that's going to be our greatest reward. And as I said, Revelations 4 says, we'll just, everything that God's ever given us, we're just going to lay down at his feet because none of that will matter compared to being in his presence. It will be a day, this judgment time, this, this Bema seat judgment, when we are reminded of all the positive and negative ripple effects of the decisions of our lives as everything that we've done will be made known. I mean, for those of you who were here at the very beginning of this series, I talked about this woman named Dr. Mary Neal. I don't know if you remember that. She was a, she's a spinal surgeon here in this country. She had gone to, to uh, South America many years ago on a canoeing trip, and her canoe got stuck, and she drowned. She was actually gone for 30 minutes. But when she came back, she was kind of rocked because she came back with all these vivid rem- memories of being in heaven. And one of the things she described... Uh, in that video, which we showed in that first week, was how she was before God's presence and how God was showing her through, through the story of her life all the people that she had impacted for God that she had never even realized. That's what this day is going to be like. It's going to be a day when God pulls back the curtain and helps us see this life we've lived has had so much more meaning and impact than we ever possibly imagined. And it all rests on how we use the days that we are given here now. How we love others. Do we love others well? Or do we get just so busy that we kind of miss these opportunities that God gives us in this life? You know, there's another story that I don't have time to show you all these video clips, although I'd love to. There's a guy by the name of Pastor Steve Shogren here in this country. And he has a great uh, testimony that's on your online sermon notes at gracetucson.org slash Bible. You can watch that this afternoon if you want. But this pastor had a near-death experience of his own where he, was dead, he died on an operating table for several minutes before they were able to resuscitate him. And he talks about how he went before God in heaven and he had this life review experience himself. And this is what he said. He said, In those moments I heard God speak. And he told me about my life and all that he wanted to change in it. It was as if he t- had taken me on a trip to the woodshed in the most positive sense of the expression. God gave me a number of life-altering, unforgettable messages that I will take to my grave, he said. 
Then he said this, God also let me know how much he valued me. Despite my list of fiascos, God extended his total acceptance and absolute love to me. And he showed me how he was going to give me another chance. I got the sense that God was going to give me an opportunity to let go of the things that had become idols in my life. And allow me to begin to embrace people instead. I was to become the husband and father that I was supposed to be. Dr. George Ritchie has a story as well that's pretty fascinating. And again, I won't show it to you, uh, the testimony, but it's actually in your online sermon notes today. But to make a long story short, Dr. George Ritchie, when he was in his about 20 years of age, he was actually a soldier, I think, during the time of World War II. And he found himself in an army hospital. And he actually died in the hospital of pneumonia. He was dead for several minutes before someone came by and was able to revive him. And when he came back, he tells about how he had this experience with God in heaven. And how there was a life review of sorts in his life. And this is what, how he described it. Listen to what he says. He says, what emanated from this presence was unconditional love. An astonishing love. A love beyond my wildest imagining. This love knew every unlovable thing about me. The quarrels with my stepmother, my explosive temper, the sex thoughts that I could never control, every mean, selfish thought and action since the day I was born. He accepted and loved me just the same. Every detail of 20 years of living were there to be looked at. The good, the bad, the high points, the run of the mill. And with this all-inclusive view came a question. It was implicit, he said, in every scene, and it was this. What did you do with your life? Now, this is really interesting. When he tells this part of the story, he says, I mean, he says, I was just 20 years old, so give me a break. He says, I was 20 years old, I was, I was a soldier, and he says, when, when God asked me this question, all I could think about was, okay, what have I done? And he thought about how he had earned his Eagle Scout award a few years prior. And it's just as he's getting ready to tell God about how he, this is one of the things that he had accomplished, God said to him, yeah, but George, that was all about you. And then George said this. He says, I understood that in my, fran- my first frantic efforts to come up with an impressive, an-, an impressive answer, I had missed the point altogether. He was not asking about accomplishments and awards. The question, like everything else proceeding from him, had to do with love. How much have you loved your life? Have you loved others as much as I am loving you? Totally, unconditionally. George's life was forever changed at that moment. And when he was revived, he set his life on a course that was radically different from the prior 20 years. He actually was so grateful that God gave him a second chance at life that he became a medical physician. And he spent the rest of his life loving on others and helping them work through medical situations in their lives. Until just a couple years ago when he rejoined God and he's now in his presence after fighting a battle with cancer that he didn't win. And guys, this is the point. This, this is what this is really all about. This is what this message is really all about, God's showing me. What we do with our lives here on earth, it really matters. Every moment of this life matters. More to, it matters more than most of us will ever imagine. 
One day we'll see it. One day it'll make a bunch of sense and we'll see why God gave us the experiences he's giving us in this life and why they matter. Right now we just don't get it. We're just kind of going day after day after day, kind of doing the things that we think we're supposed to do. We're doing our best to follow God. But one day it's going to all be made crystal clear. And we're going to see how God's fingerprints in our lives guided us, hopefully closer to him, to help us to learn to love him and to love others fully. That's what our life on earth is all about, how well we come to love God and love others. Our works, please hear me, our works don't determine our position with God in heaven. It never has. That is, that is something that comes through faith, and that is a free gift. We don't work our way to heaven. We get there because of the saving grace of Jesus. But the good deeds that we do here don't just give us rewards, Colossians 3 says. But they, these things that we're doing for God are expressions of love that we show toward God as we love others. How we live, how we experience heaven one day it will be determined in part by how we live our life here. How we love and how well we love here. And you know what? I think this is a word for some of you this morning. Not every one of us are going to succeed in this life in the world's eyes. Most of us are going to die not being rich or powerful or famous. But you know what? None of that stuff is really going to matter. Because, one, because after we're gone, no one's going to be... You know, maybe we'll be remembered for a few days, a few months, a few years by those we love. And then we'll be forgotten. The successes, the, the things that we accomplished on this earth will be forgotten. But what will be remembered and what makes us successful in this life aren't all those accolades and awards we received at work or we received through the Boy Scouts, although that's great. All that God is going to truly be interested in, what God's going to be most truly interested in, is how well we love people. How well we loved Him and how well we express that with the people we contacted on a daily basis. When we walked into the grocery store at Fry's and God put someone in front of us and said, stop what you're doing and have a conversation. And we stopped from our busyness long enough to enter into their world. What's going to matter is that time we showed up at Homeless Connect. Shameless plug there for, for Scott. But those types of things are going to be the things that matter. Not the things that are seen by the world and everyone's praising us for, but those moments when we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Those are the things that when, when we see this life review, God's going to say, oh, you nailed that one. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for loving them well. You know, there's this book that I read as I was preparing for this series. I started reading this book months ago. In fact, I actually decided to create this series in part because of this book and how much it meant to me personally. It's a book called Imagine Heaven by Pastor John Burke. And there's one place in this book where I just felt, felt like this guy, this pastor, just totally nailed it. I loved what he said. He said this. He said, everybody wants to change the world. Nobody wants to love their neighbor. Yet all God needs us to do to change the world is to love God so we can love our neighbor as much as ourselves. Think about that. And then he said, we may accomplish big things in the world's eyes, build huge corporations, lead sweeping political change, or even lead nonprofits or churches in God's name, and that's all good. But if we fail to love our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, 
and those in need whom God puts in our path, we failed at the primary task God's called us to. Now, Jesus, in his time on earth, we see this in the Gospels, Jesus talked a lot, a lot, about the kingdom of heaven. Interesting concept. Jesus described this kingdom of heaven as this place that's in store for us one day, yet he also described it at the same time as, as, a, as a kingdom that's here now on this earth today. He says it's both at the same time. Jesus, in fact, Jesus taught us to pray, and when he taught us to pray, he said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Praying, this prayer reveals that the kingdom of heaven is whenever and wherever God's will is being done. And it implies that the kingdom comes to earth when it happens through us. The kingdom comes when we are obedient to God and to his plans. Jesus also said this. He said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in our midst. The kingdom of God is, again, it's when you walk out these doors in a, in a few minutes and you engage the world around you. The kingdom of heaven is going to happen when you walk out, get out of your seat and you're in the breezeway and you greet someone. And perhaps you hear a story of something that's going on in their lives. Where I saw this just after first service as, as Ruth Brugman. It was all Ruth could do to be here today. For those of you who don't know, she lost her husband, John, just a few days ago after a long fight with Huntington's disease. And it was all she could do to just keep her composure today. But she just knew God wanted her here today. And all I had to do was just reach out my hand around her and the tears just flowed. And then I saw someone in our church, I won't point her out, reached out her arm around her and just started talking with her. That, that is the kingdom of God. That's what we're here for. It's not about the awards and the accomplishments and all the things that we can do that make us look successful because that stuff's going to just be forgotten. But it's going to be how we love others in those moments that no one else knows about. So let me ask you today this question because in this series we've, we've discovered all the way through the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is, a, is what we should be focusing our thoughts on, not on the kingdom, of, not on this earth, but on, I, we should put our thoughts on heaven. So let me ask you this. Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to be in heaven one day? Do you know that? Or do you still have doubts? Do you sometimes question, well, I hope so, Pastor Dave. I hope I've done it. No. Let me, again, let me clarify. It's not about what you've done or haven't done. We'll receive awards based on those things. God will, God will congratulate us and thank us for those things, but those won't determine whether or not we're in God's presence. Those won't determine whether or not we're in heaven. That will, that will just be determined by us coming to a place at some point in the years of our lives where we say before God, God, I love you. I surrender my heart and my life to you. I thank you for what you did by sending Christ to this earth to die on a cross for me so that I can live. That decision alone sets your future, and it's secure. For those of you who have never made that decision, please, please, don't leave here today without having wrestled with that decision. We, I would love for you, in a few moments as we wrap up our service, I'll offer a prayer where you can commit your heart and life to God. There's nothing magical about it. It's just you saying, God, I want that in my life. I, I, I want the kingdom of heaven in my life now, and I certainly want it in the future. God, you have entry in my life. Say, do whatever you want.
my heart is yours. Maybe you accepted Christ a long time ago. And maybe in this moment as I'm sharing this with you, you're thinking about some people in your life who haven't experienced a piece of heaven yet. Who don't understand what is in store for them because they, they just don't, they don't know. What would it look like for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that person's life in the months and years ahead? To love them well so that they come to know who God truly is. Let me carry this one step further if I can. Let me ask you this. Do you take the kingdom of heaven seriously? You know, it's almost... It's almost too easy to get sucked into the daily grind of this life. The returning of the emails, the meeting of deadlines, the paying of bills, the shuttling of kids to and from ball practice. All these things can just so engross our time that we find ourselves like on a treadmill. Just constantly going, 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 going. Our thoughts can be consumed with the things of this world. And we don't stop to think and to realize, to remind ourselves that this world is not our home. It's not. It never has been. Do your priorities, do your passions in life reveal an earthly mindset or a heavenly one? Do you tend to think about your own mortality? I know it's morbid. I know we, it makes you a little uncomfortable. It certainly does me. But do you remind yourself consistently that this world isn't your home? That your choices and your actions here have a direct influence on what is to come in your life in heaven? Do you remind yourself that your life is being examined and watched by the careful eye of your Creator? And His perspective on your life is the only perspective that will ever really matter one whit. I'll close with this. Um, During this series... Our Grace family said goodbye. No, we didn't say goodbye. We said see you soon to a lady named Pat Hammond. And her husband is here today. Pat was a dear woman of faith who constantly, constantly lived with the kingdom of heaven in mind. For those of you who know Pat, you knew this was true of her. For a a few days after her funeral, uh, someone here at Grace came up to me and thanked me for her eulogy. Now, I appreciate when you guys share with me how a message has touched you. you know, I, I appreciate the compliments, but, but it, it's when I know that God's doing something in your life that it really matters the most to me. That's when I get most excited. And this was one of those situations. It was days after the eulogy had been given. And this guy came up to me and he said, I have been wrestling ever since I heard your eulogy for Pat. And I've been asking myself the question, what will people say of me at my funeral? And then he started getting emotional and he said, I also started asking myself, is that what I really want them to say of me? Sure, Pat had a life that was filled with her share of heartache and pain. She, if anyone in this world, will qualify for receiving that crown of life, for going through the adversities and trials of this life. I mean, she did it for 15 years battling cancer and doing it with a smile, doing it loving people constantly, nonstop, as long as she had enough breath to get her out of bed and to be able to love on someone, she did it. She did it at Alpha, in our ministry of Alpha, and several other places, in Grace and even outside of Grace. But here's the thing. Pat's not going to be remembered eternally for her cancer. We may remember that for a little longer, but Pat Hammond won't be remembered for her cancer. She wouldn't be remembered for how she loved others and how she did it so stinking well. 
Will my life and will your life be known at all like Pat's? A life that hears God say from the beam of seat of heaven when our races are over, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. Let's think about that as we consider our next step this morning. I'll actually throw a next step question on the screen for you to be thinking about. And I also want to have a couple of ladies here from Grace remind us of how we should be living our lives here until then. So listen to this. My heart can sing when I pause to remember A heartache here is but a stepping stone Along a trail that's winding always upward This troubled world is not my final home But until then my heart will go on singing Until then with joy I'll carry on Until the day my eyes behold the city This weary world with all its toil and struggle may take its toll of misery and strife. The soul of man is like a waiting falcon when it's released. It's destined for the skies, but until then, my heart will go on singing, until then, with joy I'll carry Till then, 
So do your priorities, do your passions in life, do they tend to reveal an earthly mindset or a heavenly one? Let's take a moment and just pray as we kind of give all these things we've talked about back to God. Lord, I just want to thank you for this opportunity today and for these last few weeks to talk about heaven and to get a glimpse of what we have to look forward to. Lord, in this moment, as we think about how we've lived our lives, and for some of us, you know, we anticipate this day when we're going to be standing before you and our life will flash before our eyes, so to speak. Lord, I pray that we, we won't feel a sense of apprehension about that or worry or concern. But Lord, it'll be a day we look forward to. A day when all those things that have come out of us as expressions of love to you and to our neighbors, that they will be shown. Lord, as you remind us of those things and you thank us for those. Lord, it's just, it's just, I just find it so interesting how this whole life, it's all about those two things. Learning to love you and learning to love others. And Lord, I pray that each one of us in this room, everyone who's listening online, that we will, over the span of our lives, learn to do it really, really well. Not perfectly, Lord, we, we're not perfect, but that we would learn how to love you and love others really well. Lord, help us in those moments when we get so busy that we might perhaps miss an opportunity to slow down and to do that, that very thing. Lord, we thank you that for all of us who are followers of you, that our future is secure in you. And Lord, I also want to take a moment to lift up to you those who are in this room or those who are listening online who have never accepted you into their hearts, into their lives. If you're here, by the way, if you're, you're listening online or you're listening in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus, I just want to ask you, what's it going to take for you to come to a place of surrender and trust of your Creator? of your God. If you've never made that decision, maybe God has you here today to just make that decision before you walk out of here today. Lord, I want to ask that you would guide us through a simple prayer as we pray for those that that would be true of here today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you that you love us so much that you not only gave us life, but that you've chosen to give us eternal life with you. That you sent your son to a cross to die for us so that we could have just that. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be here. To learn, to explore what our future is like, and to come to a place of surrender. Lord, I ask that you would come into my life today and that you would forgive me of all the things in my life that I've where I've disappointed you. Lord, I want those to just be washed away and forgotten, as your scripture says. Lord, I thank you that you would do so as I confess that you are my Lord, my God, who gave everything for me. Lord, I ask that you would not only forgive me of my sins, but that you would come into my life and, to begin, and begin to change me from the inside out. Lord, I want to be that loving person that we've talked about today. I want to be that person who is more self-sacrificial, who doesn't think about myself so much, but thinks about those who are around me without anyone ever noticing. Lord, I, I want to shine your light into the lives of others on a regular basis. And Lord, I know I'm going to need your help in doing that. God, would you walk this adventure in life with me now and help me to do that well. 
Because, Lord, honestly, that's all that really matters anymore. In Jesus' name, amen.